Last time, which was two weeks ago, we looked at how God uses His Word in our lives. And we saw that unless He works, then we might as well not bother coming to the Word. That was uh, question 89. So let's confess the answer to that question now. It's question 89. How is the Word made effectual to salvation? The Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. It is amazing if you look in the scriptures at how many times it tells of God working through his word. Over and over again, you, you run into that. It's given great emphasis in the Old Testament And then it's given even more emphasis in the New Testament where preaching entirely replaces the priestly service of the Old Covenant that was very much wrapped up in God revealing himself to his people. God works in our lives if we are his people through the proclamation now, especially of what he has done in Jesus Christ. It's a message of good news that we proclaim where before they had the shadows and things, you know, of the, the old covenant. He, and he instructs us with his commandments as well. So we saw last week or last time, if left to ourselves, we would never receive the message of the gospel because our hearts are resistant toward it if left to ourselves. We either look at it as foolish and not worth our time. We've got no time for the word. I've got, I've got important things to do, right? <laughs> it's our attitude. Or as offensive, because it tells us that we're people that need to be saved by Jesus Christ, that we're sinners. I don't like something that tells me that. So it offends me, and I don't want that. But when God works in us by his spirit, then the word becomes the power of God to salvation. Our eyes are opened And we see what we did not see before. And we see it so plainly that we can't not see it. I mean, once you see the gospel and the truth and the need of Christ, you you can't go, well, I wonder about it. It's like, it's clear. Once once you see, God uses his word first to convert us. And then he uses it to help us grow in holiness and in the comfort of the gospel after we have come to Christ. So if God really does use the reading and especially the preaching of his word to work in us by his spirit, then what should we be eager to do? We should be very eager to come to his word, uh, to hear it read and preached, to hear it and read it in such a way, in such a way that it will transform our lives. We can read it in a way that it won't, or we can read it in a way that it will. Again, it's God's spirit that does the work, but it's also important how we come. And that's what question 90 is about. These two questions are very helpful because the first one says it's only by God that you'll ever even pay any attention to the word at all. And then question 90 says you need to come to God's word in the right way. You have a responsibility here. And that's what we're looking at this week. So let's confess question 90 together. It says, how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? That the word may become effectual to salvation, we must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it.
in our lives. So question 89, God's sovereignty. Question 90, our responsibility regarding the word of God. The two go hand in hand. Uh, In Luke 8, we have our Lord urging us to be careful how we hear the word of God. So this is something that is, he stresses to us. He gives us a couple of parables also to help us. And in verse 18, he gives us a direct command saying, be careful how you hear. Not just that you hear, but how you hear. So listen as I read this passage to you. I'll start in verse 4. It's Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. And it is the word of God. And when, Luke 8, 4, And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on a rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may see and hearing they may... I mean, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. For for whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. May the Lord bless this, the reading of his holy word. As you can see, the reception of the word is a very serious matter. It's not something to be taken lightly. In our Lord's parable about the soils, there is only one soil that actually benefits from the word of God. The rest of them don't receive any benefit from it whatsoever in the way of eternal salvation. That means that there are millions of people who are excluded from the kingdom of God, not because they have never been exposed to the word, but because being exposed, they have not received the word. 
because they were trampled, the trampled path where the word did not get to them at all, even though it came to them. They received it thoughtlessly. And millions again, like the stony ground, who have an initial excitement, but when it comes down to it, never really come to see the true value of the gospel so that when persecution comes or some kind of trouble on account of the gospel, they reject the word. They don't have any roots. There's no life there. And then there are the ones on the thorny ground who see the gospel as just another part of their lives. You know, oh, this is great. You know, I've got another thing to add to my life. I can do all this now. I can have the church and I can have this and that and the other thing. But it gets choked out because the other interests are just as important to them. And it's not, it doesn't have the special place that it belongs. They receive it indistinctly. So it's just another voice among many voices that they're choosing which one to do today kind of a thing. Only the good ground, as it's called here, is the one that receives the word so that it brings forth fruit for salvation. They actually come to Jesus as their Savior and they receive life through faith in such a way that they continue to the end. Verse 15, Jesus says that these are the ones who hear the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Now you might wonder here with uh, hearing that, I mean, Jesus said that, but you might object and say, but last week you told us that the difference was not in the hearers, but was in God. So you, you said that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. And that it is only because God reveals them to us by his spirit that we receive them. And you're right. I did say that because the Bible teaches just that. But it also teaches that those who receive the word in a saving way receive it with a noble and a good heart and in such a way that they keep it and bear fruit with patience. This is also true. So we don't reject one part of the word of God. Because of another part of the word of God, we are to receive both of these together. It works like this. When God's spirit begins to work in us, we're all sinners who who don't want to come to Christ. But he changes us. Sometimes even before we've actually heard the word, just through the revelation that's in creation, everything, we begin to hunger after God, perhaps. Or maybe it's from hearing the word, it begins to to, to take root. But he changes us so that instead of rejecting the gospel, we receive it with what is here called a good and noble heart. We didn't have a good and noble heart to start with, but because of the working of God's spirit, he gives us such a heart. And then we continue in it with patience. The glory goes to him for changing our heart. But if your heart is not changed so that you receive the word with a good and noble heart, then you'll be without salvation. The spirit changes the stony, stubborn heart into a responsive, receptive heart. A heart that is not stone, but flesh that welcomes the word of God. And and you see, receiving the word is what every person ought to do. I mean, as soon as somebody is exposed to the word, right then, they should rejoice and joyfully receive and welcome it. That's why Jesus tells us the parable about the light. He tells us that when you have a lamp, you don't cover it up, but you put it in a place where it shines. Instead of trying to suppress the light of God's word, you need a light in the place where it can shine all around you and inside of you. And Jesus puts the light in such a place. Yes, there is some ugly stuff 
in there that you don't want to see inside. You'd rather, you know, ooh, let's turn the light out. You know, you start to see stuff when the Word of God is exposing you, and you say, get away from this light. But uh, yes, it's not pleasant to see that you have offended God by your sin so much that you even deserve to go to hell. I mean, that, that makes it even worse. But it's not, it's not something anyone wants to hear. But don't cover it up. Let it shine. Let it shine fully so that you can see what is true and, and not leave things in the shadows anymore. And as you do, you will see what Jesus did. Along with that, what Jesus did to take away your sin. And then you can be saved. And then you can continue in him. And then you can rejoice. It's kind of crazy that the, the more you see your sin... When you see Christ, the more joy you have because you see what he's done for you and the hope that you have. If you're suppressing the light, though, you'll perish. There's not going to be any, you're not going to even look for a remedy because you never saw the problem. You, you dodged it. Jesus sums it all up in the command in verse 18 where he says, take heed how you hear. That's what we want to look at here today. So be careful how you hear the word of God. It's a matter of eternal life and eternal death. It's just not, not an unimportant matter. We will follow the outline of the catechism. First, it is essential that you attend to the word with diligence, preparation, and prayer. You know what it means to be diligent. It means that you pour your whole being into what you're doing. It captivates your heart, you know, the thing that you're diligent about. It makes you earnest. It puts a spring in your step. It's impossible to stop you. You know, despite hardships, you see somebody really committed to something and they're just going to keep on and keep on and keep on pursuing it. They're diligent about it. You're intense and focused like an athlete running, running a race to win. He's, he's all out. He's all in for it. It's what we speak of, 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 of being into something. You say so-and-so is into such and such. If somebody is really into gardening, you know, what, what do you expect? You know, they read about it, they talk about it, they think about it, they plan about it, they get out to do it. Uh, you don't have to prod them. Say, you need to go out and work in the garden. <laughs> you might have to say, you know, you've been, you've been working in the garden all the time. You've got to do some other things. You've got to work on some other things. You, you don't have to entice them. They're driven. They're, they're, there's an inner impulse there that drives them. You've all seen people who are into various things, sports, books, cooking, decorating, their career, computer games, movies, music, whatever. You find them occupied in the thing all the time. Their mind is alert when that thing comes. It's alert and keen. You see, that's how you need to be with the word. They learn very quickly, too. Amazing how people can learn. People that are kind of maybe they seem a little bit slow. But there's something that they're into, and all of a sudden, they're brilliant. Like, they can tell you all about it. They can't tell you very much about God's Word, but they can tell you all about whatever it is that has captivated them. They sacrifice other things. They put time into it. If you're teaching and your kids get into a subject, well, you don't even have to teach anymore. <laughs> you just turn them loose with the books, and they go, up, they go after it. don't have to egg them on. You don't have to pull them into it. Pull them away from things. They don't get droopy about it, you know, where they're, they're kind of... But uh, they're, they do extra work. They're, they're keen, diligent. Children, this is part of what growing up involves, that 
You don't have to be prodded anymore. You become self-motivated and diligent to take responsibility about things. So somebody doesn't, have, an adult doesn't have to come and say, you need to go and do such and such, you know, to tell you, because you're, you're just, you're, you're into it. You have to tell a kid, you know, brush his teeth, take a bath, you know. When you, but when you grow up, you're self-motivated. You do these things on your own. If God really does use faith that comes by hearing the word as a way of connecting us to Christ and his salvation, isn't the word something then that you ought to be into? Of course, this is not to say that you earn your salvation by being diligent enough in the word to win God's approval. We don't win God's approval by being diligent in the word. It's not that at all. That's silly. You can never win God's approval that way. Like, look, I'm so diligent in the word that God will have to save me now. No, it's rather to recognize that God who saves us by Jesus alone makes Christ known to us through the word. And so then you want to come to the word. It's not that you're saying, oh, I have to come to the word so that God will save me. But it's like, I want to come to the word. I want to learn. I want to know about. He uses the word to join you to Christ. And so you're eager for it. You're diligent in the word. So a question then, are you diligent in the word? Are you in, could you say that you're into the word of God? It's something that you're into. Do you, do you read the word regularly? Do you read it? daily when and if you do do you do it just as an empty routine or do you do it with hunger and a desire to know the lord is it something that you think about because it's boring if you don't think about it if you just read it and walk away from it are you eager to hear sermons or is it just something that you tolerate you should attend also to god's word catechism says here with preparation Preparation, let's think of some ways of that. First, you should prepare by confessing and forsaking your sins. You're coming before the great God who made you. He is a holy God. If you realize that, then you'll think about how you ought to appear before him in his courts. You won't just come sauntering in as you are. You've got to clean up. You'll clean up as much as you can. You're getting ready to meet with the King of Kings. Remember when I talked about in the Song of Solomon when she was laying in bed and she didn't want to get out and all that? It wasn't that there was no issue. It was something that is hard to do. You know, you have to get up. You have to, you have, and, and coming before God, it, it, there's, there's something there. You have, to, you have to come and he's a holy God. And as you come before him, you look to him to, to cleanse you and so on. The ministry of John the Baptist teaches this. John's whole ministry was to prepare the way of the Lord. And what is his ministry characterized by? He called everyone to repent, to be baptized, receive the symbol of God's cleansing. This is just what you need before you can come to God's word. Repent of your known sins and renew your baptism by looking to Jesus for cleansing. That's why at the beginning of our services, we always pray for God to receive us through Christ as we come before him to hear the word and so on. Jacob told his family when they came to worship, he said, put away your foreign gods and then come and worship the Lord. Change your garments and then come and worship the Lord. But we are to be cleansed by looking, of course, to Jesus. Those Old Testament symbols were used. We look to Jesus, as it says in Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near, draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. A second way to prepare is by working up an appetite for God's word. 
How many times do you come to read God's word or hear it preached and get nothing out of it because you're already full? You're full of the things of the word world. You're thinking about your personal goals and your achievements. Your mind is totally occupied with that. You're focused on your clothes or on what other people think of you, or maybe you're focused on what other people are doing or not doing, or you're harboring bitterness towards someone about something. And it's just not, you're not here because of the word of God. Like you're here with all these other things going on. Yeah, you're, the word of God is there, or maybe you're reading whatever, whichever way it's coming. Or you can't stop thinking about a purchase that you want to make. You know, that happens to me sometimes. I'm getting ready to, you know, I'm looking at cars that I'm going to buy or something. I'm thinking about different different ones I was looking at. And here I, you know, I'm supposed to be reading God's word. <laughs> There's no room for it. It's like the thorny soil in the parable of the sower. All of the crowds out, everything crowds out the word so that it's choked out and doesn't bear fruit. To get a hunger, stop and think about the vanity of the world. Consider that all the riches in the world are nothing in comparison to the things of Jesus Christ, the precious gospel of Christ. What real lasting fruit will come from a new hairstyle that you're all focused on? You know, you're thinking about getting your hair done or something, or the, or the new car that you're thinking about buying. What difference do those things make in a million years? You know, not, not very much. Come to the word with an earnest desire to hear from him, to have him teach you to have him shine his light in your soul so that you're changed. Stir up yourself the way you do when there's a big event, right? If you're getting ready to, maybe you're going to a family reunion, you're going to see lots of people or something like that. And you, you prepare for it. You're thinking about it. You're getting, because it's a big deal. You're going to see people you haven't seen in a long time. Hearing God's word should be a most important work that you do every week. And then um, come to the word with a, earnest desire to hear from him, you know, every every time. Okay, and then there is what we might call practical preparation. What happens if you have a big exam or maybe you're trying out for a team and you've got, you know, you've got to be at your best for a track team or something like that, you know, what, what practical steps do you take if you're into it? Well, you're going to get proper sleep. You might even control what you eat that will be more conducive to what you're doing. You'll think about your, your, the food that you eat that won't make you sleepy. You don't want to go out drinking the night before. You, you plan the event. You don't rush in at the last minute. You, will, you, you turn off your phone and you don't check your messages you know, because you're, you're, you're focused in. With, with your Bible reading at home, you will look for a time when you're at your best and when you're not as likely to be interrupted or you'll take measures to avoid the interruptions. That's the problem that I can have sometimes that I'll be reading a word and I'll have my phone there by me and then I get a message from someone and then, I, oh, that's, oh, that's so-and-so. You know, and then my, my mind is just taken right off the word. I didn't prepare. I needed to, to move that phone away or, or, or turn it off maybe. If you realize you're meeting with God to hear from him, you want to be in top shape and you want to be, you, you want to be prepared. Okay, so diligence, preparation, and then you should attend the word with prayer. Prayer is an essential part of really the preparation. Prayer that you will properly receive the word as you come to it. Because we saw that people don't. And I'll tell you, this is, this is in the Bible all the time. 
Psalm 119 is full of prayers about receiving the word of God. It's just full of them. The, the words, teach me your statutes, is repeated seven times in Psalm 119. Teach me your statutes, seven times. And verse 18 says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. What a suitable prayer that is. Verse 27 says, make me understand the way of your precepts. So you come with these yearning prayers to God's word. Verse 66 says, teach me good judgment and knowledge for I believe your commandments. Verse 108 says, teach me your judgments. And verse 125 is, give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. And while you're praying for yourself, pray for others too. Jesus is our example here. Jesus, before he went to the cross, he reminded the Father that he had faithfully given the word to his disciples. So Jesus had given the word, the gospel, to his disciples. And then what did he do? Now he's going to the cross, but he prays that, the, that they, those who would he, for those who would hear the word through them. He prays for them and for those who would hear the word through them. John 17, 17, he said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It's really encouraging to see Jesus doing this because he still does this. He prays, he intercedes for us in heaven. He prays these prayers that we were just talking about for us. He intercedes for us. Join him in praying for yourself and for the whole church to be sanctified by the word. Set apart from the world to be God's holy people. Know that when you pray for this, you're praying with Jesus. And don't forget to pray for the preacher. <laughs> See how Paul urges this in Ephesians six eighteen through 20. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, he says, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Please don't, don't neglect to pray. Please don't neglect to pray for, for me. If Paul needed such prayers, how much more do I need such prayers? I would ask you to pray for me all through the week, preparing to preach. Pray for the preparation as well as the delivery. Pray that God would work through the preaching of the Word in our lives. Now, if your time in the Word has been more like a time in the desert where you don't really receive anything, Maybe it's because you have not been attending to the word as you should. Diligence, preparation, and prayer. If not that, you need to repent. But attending the word is not the end of what you must do to benefit from it. You must also properly receive it. You must receive it with faith and love and lay it up in your heart. You want to give the word a warm reception, a warm embrace. Open the door to your heart. And welcome the word in. Say, ah, look who has come to visit me today. It is the word of God. Please come in. You're welcome here. Please come and stay with me. There is no one that I would rather see. You are the life-giving word. And I beg you, stay with me. You are welcomed here. What does it mean to receive it with faith? 
it means that you receive it as being true. You don't really receive the word at all if you don't believe it's true. This is how the word first comes to you. God opens your eyes and you see that it's true. You believe that you're a sinner. You believe the gospel. Believing is the initial reception of the word that saves. And then if you continue in the word, you must continue to believe it. Israel's apostasy resulted from their unbelief. We're warned against the same unbelief in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at this when we do Hebrews later on. It's a very solemn warning. Hebrews 3.12, it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Jesus warns about this in the parable of the sower, didn't he? Those who initially receive the word with joy, but then afterward turn away. It sounded great to them at first, but then they found out that there were sacrifices involved in, with following Christ. And they turned back. They didn't want to hear it anymore. This is to them an evil heart of unbelief. You must believe that whatever the word says is true. All the promises are true or they are worthless. What good is a promise if it's not true? All the commandments are right, the ones you don't like, as well as the ones you do. All the judgments are right, even when it's not what you have been told by your mother or by the society or whoever it is. God's word trumps all of that. Jesus tells us that we must receive the kingdom as a little child. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. You are to recognize the authority of God as the one who speaks, and then you are to take his word as absolute. When we come before the true God, you don't debate with him or try to negotiate with him because it's his word. He is God, and his word has full authority. So that's receiving the word with faith because it's the word of God. But faith is not enough on its own. You must also receive the word with love. Faith and love go together. Thomas Boston said, Faith receives the word as true. Love receives it as good. Isn't that significant? You can say, hey, that's true, but it's not good. No, it's both good. It's both true and good. James tells us in James 2.19 that even the demons believe that the word is true. They tremble. They don't like it. They hate it, in fact, because of what it says about them, especially in some ways, the devil actually believes better than, than most people do. He knows it's all true. He has no doubts at all that it's true. He wishes it was not true. He knows it is. His problem is that he doesn't love the truth, isn't it? Do you love the truth when you hear it? Or are you like the devil? Now, I know that there are times when you read things in the Bible that you don't like. And we all do that. It rubs us, goes cross grain kind of thing. But you ought to have in your heart an awareness that it is not God or his word that's the problem. It's your twisted heart. There's something corrupt there that needs to change. You need to come in a humble way like that to the word. You don't see things properly or you would love what God says. The only reason you don't love it is because something's corrupt in there. You're the one that needs to change, not God and not God's word. The question is, what is your overall attitude toward the word? Do you love the word? 
Job is a great example of this. He said, Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Not just food, luxury food, but my necessary food that I need to have to survive. The word of God is more important to me than that. There were a lot of things that Job didn't like about what God was doing, but he continued to hang on to what God had said through all those hard times. He did not depart from God's commandments. Just think about how much there is to love about God's word. It's God's message to us of how fallen, ruined sinners can live. It tells us all that God did in Jesus to save us. It tells us about God's nature so that we can know God and worship him. It tells us about God's acts so that we can see his might and praise him. It tells us about his love and grace that we might be comforted. It it tells us about his holiness and judgment that we might fear him. It tells us how to love him and how to love each other that we might live beautiful lives according to the precepts of the word. If you do not love these truths, you cannot be saved. 2 Thessalonians 2.10 puts it very directly. It says, it speaks of those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So apparently these are people that were in the church and they received the truth and said this is true even, but they did not love the truth. Part of receiving the word then is loving it. You don't welcome another person by simply believing that that person exists. You welcome them by loving them and receiving them. And then having received the word with faith and love, you must keep it. As it says in the catechism, lay it up in your heart. You're not merely to welcome the word to your heart as a visitor. You're to give it a home, a lodging, a permanent lodging, a permanent residency. The Bible stresses again and again that we must continue in the word if we wish to be saved. In John 8, 30 through 31, it says, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Okay, good. They they believed in him. But it says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. In other words, if you don't abide in my word, then you're not really my disciples. A true disciple is one who not only receives the word, but then who receives it in a way that he continues in it. It will do you no good to let it in on Sunday when you hear a sermon and then send it off on Monday or Tuesday, send it packing. This is essentially what happened in the parable of the sower, isn't it? With the stony ground and the thorny ground. With the stony ground, the word was received and it was even received with joy, but it was a superficial joy so that it didn't have any roots. As soon as trouble comes, maybe people are talking about how evil people are who think that homosexuality is sinful. Or maybe someone is laughing about those, those foolish Christians who think Jesus is the only way to God. And they say, you don't believe that, do you? So now the word that you welcomed with love on Sunday is something that you don't care to hold on to. You don't really see the true value of it. You only received it in a superficial way and now you reject it. And with the thorny ground, again, the word was preached. You saw the truth. You kissed the truth. You embraced the truth. You welcomed it. Now it's Tuesday, and there's an attractive woman at work showing attention to you, and you're married. 
And all of a sudden you're ready to welcome her and to send the word packing. And the word will have to move out so she can move in. You must give the word a permanent place in your life. This is why it's so important to meditate on God's word day and night. Keep on thinking about what God has said. Turn it over and over in your minds. Look at it this way. Look at it that way. Think about how it applies in this and how it applies in that. Think about it in relation to all of life. When that seductress at work tempts you or when you're angry with your mother, what does the word say about this? What does God's word tell me that I should do here? The seductress actually provides a good illustration of what I mean. A man who is enticed remembers her. He can't remember what he read in the word, but he remembers her. He has quite an incredible memory, in fact, and he meditates on it. That's what it means to meditate. You, you, you keep on turning it over, thinking about it, playing it over and over. This is also why it's so important to refresh yourself in God's word every day and to hear the word preached every Lord's day. You want God's word to stay with you, to con- that you can continue in it, that the word will continue in you, that it will abide in you. If you do not maintain it, it'll slip away. And you'll be like the stony ground or the thorny ground. Okay, so now we have seen that if the word is to do you good, we must attend to it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. And we must receive it with faith and love and lay it up in our hearts. But there is yet one more thing that is absolutely essential that must not be left out. We must practice it in our lives. Isn't this a great catechism question? I like to pray this question a lot. You've probably heard me pray it before because it's just, it really draws together what, what needs to happen when we come to the Word. Practice it in our lives. This is always the emphasis in Scripture. How many times does Moses tell Israel that he has given them God's commandments in order that they might do them? He, he, he likes to add that part on. This should be so obvious, of course, but often as God's people, we take pride in knowing the word. Oh, I know that. Oh, I know all about that. I memorized that. I know it in Greek. You know, well, great. You know, did you do it? <laughs> Telling others what is right and wrong. But then we give very little attention to actually doing what God says. You know, we tell them, oh, you're not supposed to do this, supposed to do that. But are we doing Jesus himself, when he sends his disciples to make other disciples in the Great Commission, says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them. Is that what he says? And teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. He doesn't just say, teach them to know all that I've commanded you, but teach them to do, to observe all that I've commanded. He talks about abiding in God's word so that we will bear fruit. He is looking for transformed lives through the word sown. Like James says that we be doers of the word and not hearers only. And like John says, if we're not confessing our sins, overcoming the world, loving one another and believing on Christ, then we do not really yet know Christ in a saving way. First John it's very clear in that epistle. And then you have Paul in his epistles, first urging those he is writing to, to believe the word, and then urging them 
to obey the word. So often that's what he presents. He lays out what we're to believe and then what we're to do. He says that it is not circumcision or uncircumcision that matters, but a new life. Beware, my brothers and sisters, we are so easily deceived in this. We think that because we have heard and accepted that we've done all that's required. Not so. We must do the will of God. No one goes to heaven without repenting and believing. You, You have to actually turn from your sin and actually believe on the Lord Jesus as Savior. Talking about it, thinking about it is no substitute. It is one thing to see that you ought to love your brothers. It's quite another to start loving them. I mean, I can do so many wonderfully good things for other people in my plans, (laughs) in my mind. But when it comes to actually taking steps and actually going and doing it, it's a different story. It's one thing to see Jesus as the only Savior. It's quite another to receive Him and rest upon Him alone for salvation. Oh yeah, I can see that. He's the only Savior. But are you resting in him? Have you trusted in him? Have you given your heart to him? If you're if you're not listening to the word actively, thinking about how you're going to apply it and then actually doing it, actually applying it, then the listening was in vain. This book, the Bible, must be your life. It is what you live and what you rest in. It is not then if it is not then it's only a matter of time till you're going to reject it. You'll be offended by it, like the stony ground. Or other things will choke it out, like the thorny ground. You will lose even what you seem to have. The best way to have the Word stay with you is to start implementing what it says. Like you can read, let's just take some simple command from God, like that uh, fathers should command their household in the way of the Lord, to, to do the way of the Lord, and that they may be able to keep it and receive the things that he's promised. So you have that, and then you, you say, oh yeah, that's what the word says, and maybe you memorize it, and you go around with it. But what's the best way to really keep that thing? It's to start doing it. Make it part of your life. Now you've got it. But if you don't ever do it, it's just to know about it, it's not helpful. Jesus said in our text, therefore take heed how you hear For whoever has to him more will be given, and whoever does not have even what he seems to have will be taken from him. You don't really have the word at all if it is not something that you do. Jesus tells us that if we do not build our life on his word, then our building will collapse no matter how grand it is. It can be a huge, beautiful building, but it's got no foundation. If it's not built on his word, it will collapse. It's built on the sand and not on the word. But don't forget what we saw last week. You're not able to receive the word at all unless the Lord works in you. So if you're struggling with this, what do you do? You turn to the Lord. You say, Lord, help me. It's one of the best prayers you can pray. Lord, help me. Have mercy on me. Having heard how we must hear, do what a true believer does. What does a true believer do when they hear something that God has commanded them to do? They say, Lord, help me. Lord, you help me. I can't do this. You change me. Have mercy on me. And he will not turn you away. Jesus tells us that if we come to him, then he will not turn us away. Not that you won't have to battle and struggle, but you continue to call on the name of the Lord. Please stand and let's do that right now. 
Oh Lord, we sometimes call this prayer after a sermon the prayer of application. Because it's a prayer where we pray that we would do what we have heard. Sometimes the doing is obeying commandments. Sometimes the doing is believing something. But Father, we pray that we would do what your word tells us. And today what we have seen is just that, that that we should come to your word and we should receive it with faith and love. We should lay it up in our hearts. We should practice in our lives. We should receive it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. And that we should do it. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us in this regard. Lord, if we need to make changes, we pray that we would make changes, that we would, we would take steps to actually begin to do what we have heard today. And not just to hear about it and not just to kind of let it pass on, but that we would actually take measures that are necessary for this to happen. Father, we need your grace. We need your help. We know that we can be so easily like the stony or the path, the trampled ground, that it just bounces right off. Or the others that as soon as some trouble comes, then it's gone again. Father, we want to be that good soil that brings forth fruit. Once there's a a, a plant that's growing there and it, it begins to bring forth the fruit that is necessary. Father, this is our desire. Father, may we come to your word with, a, with an eager desire and delight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So look to the Lord for, for blessing that you would love his word. May the Lord your God be with you as he was with your fathers. May he not leave you nor forsake you that he may incline your hearts to himself to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded your fathers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.